Welcome to the Happy Sales Podcast and I'm here right now on episode number one with Greg Meehan, who has just finished a 216 kilometer ride, I believe, yesterday. We'd love to hear from you, Greg. How was your journey? Um, to be honest, it, I mean, it went okay. Like we first day on a Saturday, we rode 140 kilometers from the middle of Malaysia up to Cameron Highlands. And then yesterday, yep, it was that 216 kilometer ride back. And if anybody goes on my LinkedIn, they will see that I do not have the complexion to handle the sun. And I have some very, very funny sunburn marks on my face. Put it that way. It looks like I'm wearing a strange white mask. Speaking about huge journeys, crazy journeys, I want to start off by learning a little bit about your journey. You've done so many different things. And let's go back right out of school, college, and when you, when you took your first job. Tell us about your journey into sales, Greg. So my first job was very, very early. I think I was probably eight or nine years old. And it was actually washing cars with my brother. So my brother was very entrepreneurial and he was used to go door to door, knocking on the door saying, hey, do you want your car washing? And that's what we did. And I joined him on a weekend. So that was my first foray into the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Right. But it was, it was all thanks to my brother. So that was, yeah, eight. What made you move into sales? Why not move into something else? After school, went to university and I studied accounting of finance and I basically managed two years of studying accounting of finance before realizing this just isn't isn't for me so I think I've always been kind of extroverted in the sense of always like being around people and working with people kind of face yeah. to face and then after after I kind of dropped out of uni I, I had a job in the uh, in a mortgage underwriting business and from there my my dad at the time was basically buying and renting out houses uh, kind of got into the the mortgage business and i joined this company chesterton grand and i was technically self-employed uh, in the mortgage game at 20 22 years old i think and that's when i really started to learn about sales and salesmanship although i just wasn't very good at it and that was basically my, my first job um sustaining myself because it was completely commission a commission only. yeah just commission only and you technically had your own business i was right. a sole trader and it was just around around the time the financial crisis best was kicking off as well best <laughs> time to get get into sales with no book of business yeah that's that was my first foray into sales that challenge do you think that's kind of shaped you when you look back on it like, do you still draw on some of those elements of challenge, you know, in today's life, where you are right now as well? 100%. So because it was a commission-only uh, business, the I didn't have any income. I was actually staying at home with my mum and dad at the time, but obviously I needed to pay bills and I was paying rent to find a way to also generate some sort of income whilst I started to find my own clients. Um, I didn't have any tech or anything right. like that. There was no sales loft or outreach or, or anything. I had... What was it? It was a, I had a Blackberry. Okay. Yeah, I think I had a Blackberry at the time. And then I was, uh, I was basically, I used to go into the mortgage business. I was, I was starting that at around nine and then I was doing that through to about 6 PM. So it was literally like a nine to six kind of who do, who can I call? Who can I reach out to? How am I going to generate my own business? How am I going to buy leads? We could actually buy leads okay. from these, these websites as well. Uh, one of them was moneysupermarket.com, but you needed cash to do that. So from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m., I was working for, have you heard of a company called Kimberly yes. Clark? Yes, of course. 
Yeah. So sometimes their machines used to break down and they used to have to bring in extra uh-huh. staff to work on the production lines. And I used to pack wet wipes into wow. boxes by hand for 12 hours from 7 a.m. Secret to your strength in uh, weightlifting and muscles. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, nah, they were very light. It was just the, the repetition. But that was, that was the kind of the thing was like... At, you know, doing whatever it takes mm-hmm. and that idea of work ethic. I think people kind of coined it as hustle nowadays, but really it's not hustle. It's just making ends meet and doing what you can to survive. So that was a, that was a start Am of I that. Am I listening to this correctly? So you actually had two jobs that you were working? Like uh, yes. So you did the wet wipes in the evening and then, <laughs> and then you did the, uh, then you did the mortgages uh, throughout the day. It wasn't sustainable. I had to do that. I couldn't do that forever. Oh, what helped. was the drive? Like, what really pushed you to say, I need to do this? Whereas I would imagine a lot of other kids at that age might be doing something else. There was no other choice. Um, I decided that I wanted to leave university because that wasn't... Um, I then decided that I wanted to get into the mortgage business. It was going to be commission only. I like the idea of being my own boss. And then I just had to deal with what came with those decisions, right? So... That was the thing. It's like, well, if I want to make a success of this, I've got to make sure that I can put money in my pocket at the same time as launch launch my own business. Super inspiring. How did that kid lifting up Kimberly Clark web wipes and holding another job? How did he land up in Malaysia <laughs> or all the way here? What was your journey into into Asia then? So just as a, the financial crisis was really kicking off, I mean, I, I'd actually partnered with somebody who was involved in pensions in in the company and we were passing referrals to one another and he actually got offered a job out here in uh, working in financial services and he said at the time look i think there's other opportunities out here for for you to um be involved in sales do you want to kind of come along and he was coming out to malaysia for like a final interview to meet the ceo and everything so I, I joined him. At the time, the flights were very, very, and I thought it might be a good opportunity over here and, you know, potential for mm-hmm. really interesting. So hopped on a plane in 2009 and came out, and that's kind of the, the CEO of the company and a few other people. And uh, they said, hey, do you want a job? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and they, they said, and they said, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, uh, not really. I've got to go back to the UK. I don't know if you had family in Malaysia, but you still said, yeah. What, what made you? Say, yes, I want to go there. I want to take this job. Opportunity, I think. So I didn't know anybody here. I didn't have any family here. I'd before actually moving out, I had reached out to a couple of people in the rugby that if I came here, I you know go down to the rugby club and meet some people, you know, get familiar with different networks. Um, but fundamentally, it was, in my mind, at 24 years old, it can go one of two ways, okay. right? It can go really well, and you can see what you can make of yes. yourself, or it doesn't go so well, and then you go home, and you try and start something else or do something else. The, the risk of things not working out, I think the reward was just so much greater. I so I had literally not, I, I had literally- So you, you were totally unafraid to fail. You are like, I have nothing to lose just everything to gain. Honestly, I think there's a bit of fear uh-huh. there and I think that's what really okay. drives you. So I, whilst I, I did have that fear, the fear of failure, the fear of, you know, oh my God, this guy's you know gone away like Asia yeah. and started his whole life. You know, a few months later he comes back like, well, yes. that sucks. Like you, you can't even yeah, make narrative. it. So right. I'm, there, there was that obviously a bit of imposter syndrome and face or whatever uh-huh. you want to call it. But I think for me it's just, well, 
what if I backed myself and what if I, what if what if it did make you honestly we do get too kind of like what if it doesn't yes. work out and what if this goes wrong what if that goes wrong and all of a sudden you get into this spiral of all this stuff that can go badly and then we forget that yeah but what if it can go right like what is really in our control like if we do the additional bit of hard work or we make that additional call or send that additional email like you can start to take back a bit more control of how things go mm-hmm. and I think that's sometimes missing with people they get so focused on what if everything goes terribly that they forget there's quite a bit of upside if you can just back yourself a little bit were you born an optimist or did you just you just happen to see the positive things and opportunities or in everything um that's a good question i don't know because i think i've just done so much reading it's hilarious after i dropped out uh-huh. of uni because i hated reading and didn't uh-huh. want to do any any of that stuff and then all of a sudden when you can see how applicable a lot of this stuff is and how reading can really shape your perspective it I can't not read anymore Uh, but I just think yeah I think it's just been shaped over time probably always had a a positive outlook but I think my attitude has really been shaped over the past 13 years that I've been in that have been in Asia and I get to talk to people like yourself and other people from the communities that I'm involved in and a lot of the reading that I do and people sharing with me I think it's just started to really push me as well amazing from a, an optimistic talk us through then how did you move mm. on from the last company and move on to some of the different jobs and, and, and where you're at then? yeah so I when I landed it was basically cold calling individuals and asking for money we were financial advisors so I nearly got fired a couple of times from that job because I wasn't very good at it and I was trying and I was failing the training that we got wasn't the best and I was just fortunate enough that I had agreed to help the office move and then I stumbled across this this recording which is by Alan Pease how to book appointments by telephone and I read through that I found some audio online and I listened to that and that completely changed the game for me so I went from not kind of booking any meetings or arranging any meetings as what we now call an SDR to basically being a top performer and I went from being a top performer as an independent contributor. And I say that humbly, by the way, I just followed the process and then obviously people like to talk to me and it's like, okay, cool. Lots more people started saying yes. And I was like, wow, this is pretty good. Um, And then I started to pick up other markets as well. So it wasn't just kind of Malaysia, it was also Brunei and Sakhalin and the Middle East. And and what that allowed me to do was start because of the time difference. So I would start my work at 6 a.m. and then I would finish up all my calls and everything then I'll be doing my lead gen in the evening and building out my database and I'll probably wrap up about 10 or 11 at night um and what happened was I started to get more results and better success and the CEO asked me to build a an inside kind of SDR team which I did and I was like why not let's try doing this like I've got no idea what I'm doing he was like oh you'll figure it out and kind of hired about 10 12 people I think in total and then there's a guy that actually got he heard about what I was doing in in that business and it turned out he was the CEO of this other company called Superhands. It was when, when I moved into the B2B tech space. Um, and he said, hey, uh, do you fancy like doing that stuff, like sales stuff over, over here and you know helping me figure this stuff out? And I was like, well, I don't really know B2B tech. And he said, ah, oh, we'll figure it out. I was like, okay, well, let's roll the dice and see how it goes. Um, so we always had that kind of understanding that I was just trying to figure it as time, as went, time on. went on and we worked, yeah, and we just kind of worked together and we were fortunate enough to get to a point where people wanted to acquire us. Um, and that was kind of the, towards the end of, end of last year. So 
Tell us a little bit about the challenges you face, like from a market perspective. Like when you when you're selling across Asia, and, you know, as you were saying, you're working with uh, different markets in Southeast Asia. Do you have certain mm. fundamental approaches that don't change when you sell? I think Jeb Blunt puts it really well. You know, show me that you know me. And there's also all these cliches like, um, no one knows how much you care until they know how. Uh, no one no. What's the saying? No one knows. No one. Help me out. No one knows how much. No one, no one, no one cares. <laughs> help me out here. You know who's going to help me out? Google will help me out. No one cares about me. That's what the first yeah. search is. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, Google. Just, no, no one cares how much you know. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Ah, oh, nice one. So, there, there you go. There you go. We got it. Thank you to the powers of. <laughs> Uh, the powers of Google, and that that kind of hilariously and ironically, that thought process mm-hmm. stuck with me, although not the saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes also comes from the from the from the seven the seven habits as well, right? First, seek to understand. So, anytime that I was selling right. into any market, it was really approaching it from a point of what's most important to the client. So. When I was in financial services, mm-hmm. it was more about, okay, if we're, if somebody from Holland is buying from me or someone from England is buying from me or someone from the US is buying from me, their, their motivations to, to buy these and, and services are based on a number of factors from a financial perspective. So it's showing what this product and service can do for that specific situation. And the messaging is all about showing how much you know about their right. situation and selling and selling to that. And I think that's that's been the case with all of the sales that I've done, mm. to be honest. And if you wanted me to condense it down into kind of a framework or whatever, I'm not too sure no. I could. And there's plenty of there's plenty of books out there that that do a much better job than I can. Uh, have you had any or oh, any scenarios that have actually changed the way you sell? You know, any, any interesting stories that you faced, or situations you faced rather, you know, in the past few years that stand out to you you know that helped you change your approach that's a good question i think there was there was one one really comes to mind in terms of changing how i sell was i was asked to attend it with a with a guy just to get some documents signed and i was like okay well i'm just going to turn up and pick up mm-hmm. these documents and get this yep. thing signed off and when i turned up there was a whole episode that happened and I was completely on for, for that. Um, even though I thought it was just a simple kind of document right. collection, it just, so from there, it's like, even if you think the situation is just as simple as unstable to straightforward yes. as that, what, what preparation have you done in order to deal with something that might go not so well? So from, from my uh-huh. perspective, when I think about like pre-call planning or pre-sales meeting okay. planning is asking, it's asking a bunch of different questions from the people that have already been yes. involved in a sale to find out what's actually happening. Um, even if it, you feel it's just a, uh, a straightforward signature or straightforward sign up, it's normally not the case. So it's just going that extra step, doing all the homework, doing all the research over and yes. above what you think is actually necessary. That is great advice because quite often we'd assume the situation is what it is supposed to be, whereas there's so many hidden unseens that might impact the entire situation. Uh, yeah. And talking about, like, as we're in the sales process of things, um, love to know, what do you think is the one key skill, and it's hard probably to say one, but what is the one key skill you think sales reps in Asia need to be outstanding? 
that is a big question. So the one I will always come back to, cold calling, I think not just salespeople in Asia, salespeople yes. globally, the ability to cold call and communicate effectively over the phone is a super, that, that ability to have a look at a name on a screen, pick up a phone and they don't know you. And then for you to generate a conversation with that person about in a constructive way, whether it's a yes, yes, or a really knowing your profession, knowing what you're trying to sell, knowing the objective, knowing all about them and being able to generate that interest and for them to say yes to any sort of meeting. It is a superpower. And I mean, I believe in that so much that when I left my previous role, I started my own company. Then it feels wrong for me to talk about sales strategy with people. If I'm doing it for somebody else, I should do it on my own and back myself. Because the idea of being able to generate interest via a phone is basically the crux of business. That's how I, that, that, that's how I feel about it. And that's got me to a point of, you know, coming from a b2c finance background going into b2b tech being an sdr through to an ae through to a head of sales through to a cro you know running my own this is the one thing that's helped me throughout and i think it's not just the itself but the preparation that goes into it what are you going to say how are you going to say it what's going to be the follow-up that continues through, not just through, through cold calling but through emails through conversations through direct interaction through how you network it's the same kind of mentality that ability to communicate and it's i'm a strong i'm strong believer i mean i was cold calling people for sick you know across asia and uh, it seemed to go okay for me and just to build on your thought when you say cold call so mm. many tools so much information so much content available on specific people it mm -hmm. doesn't usually have to be so cold as well like you know like linkedin or other tools that we have us to give you know give us more information put a put a face to the name uh, actually helps making the calls a little bit easier so it's not so much about cold calling it's about almost being warm and and how do you make those how do you increase your conversions by upping your game using some technologies i agree with that I think when I talk about cold calling, it's the idea of they don't really know that you're going mm. to reach out. But from your perspective or from the perspective of doing, doing the research and making sure that you've done all the planning and you can actually have a, con a conducive conversation based on what you know, I think there's a, I think there's a big requirement. It's always 100%. And I think not just about knowing the individual, but knowing where they operate, about their role, like what are going to be their biggest challenges. There's a lot of information out there. And... There is right now, I think there's a, an over-indexing, shall we say, on this idea of personalization. Right. Now there is a big difference between personalization and relevancy. Mm -hmm. And I think I've written about this yes. before and I think people get so hung up on this personalization. Like, hey, you're, you know, your dog's called Jed and you like <laughs> hot dogs and you like going to ball games. Hey, do you want to buy this stalker. software? And it's like, Right. And there's, yeah, it's yes. personalized and thanks for doing the research, but this just isn't relevant. It's, it's just not relevant yes. to me yes. either. Uh, so if, if they can talk to the, both to the individual and the role and the challenges yes. they face, that's, that's the challenge. And I think that's, it's a, it's a tricky skill to, to kind of balance not being familiar, but not overly familiar and being relevant and not just. You're right. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, and talking about sales in, in our part of the world, price can be a very difficult discussion. And I find a lot of clients. Uh, I've heard this from a lot of people as well. 
this common concept mm. of clients just ghosting and clients just saying, that, hey, why don't you send that over and just not responding to you. What's your number one method to reduce that? Bam, book a meeting from a meeting. Don't exit a call without having a second call or follow-up call scheduled in. And I, and I think with this one, it's like, hey, send me a quotation. I'm like, more than happy to do that. I'll get all this stuff together. I know you might not have time to review it before the end of the week, but how about we just schedule something in for Friday at 2 p.m.? We'll put it as tentative to move it. We can actually move it over to the following week, but at least we've got something in the diary. Is Friday at 2 p.m. all right for you whilst we schedule this in? And I can get all the information over to you in the next few hours. Super. Other, otherwise, you're just going to be chasing for that next meeting. But right now, what it is, you're, you've already got something scheduled in and they either have to decline it, confirm it with them. You actually can move it out. But at least then you've got something in the diary already. Love it. Love it. That's super impactful. Uh, and shifting the focus a little bit to yourself. Mm. I was listening to an interview of yours where you're talking about happy salespeople make for better performers. I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Alrighty, well that is a again that's a that's a big question. You got happiness and you got joy. I think happiness is fleeting. Happiness is that idea of I just closed this deal, awesome, or I've just got this meeting booked in, epic. I think the idea of enjoying the work that you do even when it's tough is you know, it's it's part of the process. You can't have this these optimistic this optimistic outlook and these fun times without going through hardship. And you know, I think one of the things that I talk about a lot uh, is this idea of mindset. And I know it's kind of rooted in every sort of conversation right now, but I think coming back to, you know, where I started out, where maybe I wasn't in the most productive environment and it wasn't in financial services, but I think nowadays it's really taking a look at, am I, am I enjoying the work that I do even when it's hard to do? Am I enjoying the process? And I think that's what's missing a lot of the time. People are chasing the, the goal. People are chasing the outcome. So I think when we talk about like happiness, happiness comes from the, the process itself. And the joy comes from overcoming adversity, overcoming those tough things. And it's a lot about framing. And there's that idea of every cloud has a silver lining. And maybe, maybe I am an optimist nowadays. Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing. And I'll tell you why in a minute but this idea is like what can i learn what can i take away from this situation what are the from this hardship so it was a great book it's victor frankl's man's search for meaning yeah. and that was a huge perspective change for me and the the phrase in that is all of life is suffering it's a, it's a heavy heavy book to read but it it reshaped how i looked at things it changed my perspective on on the world in a very positive way and it's like well if i'm going through this what can i learn what can i take away from this and what is the upside from this as well and i think it just reshaped that rather than this victim mentality of woe is me it's like well this happened to me so what are the learnings from this and i'm a firm believer in that and you know we come back to these endurance races that have done all these long cycles and all and the weightlifting Sometimes you don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning when it's monsoon season and it's raining like hell and you don't want to go out for a run at that time. But when you do that and the joy you experience having gone through that and the training that you do, and then when you go and you, you know, you're playing the game in air quotes, um, when you're doing the run, doing a ride or making the right. calls, it all makes it worthwhile. And I think when we start to understand that just part of the process, it's, it can be, it's a suffer, like 
making the calls and getting rejected or going for a run and not not doing your best just before you're about to do a race it's hard man it's like really really on the on the psyche on your mental well-being but to continue doing that knowing that it's part of the process to get better and it's part of the process to experience that you know going through the the troughs to experience the peaks i think that's what this is really all about because it's just getting very philosophical about it as well this whole thing that we're doing right now this life thing it is a game and we're we're playing the best game we can with the hand that we're dealt you know speaking about the losses it's not finite it's not like oh i've lost and that's it it's not like game over it's like i was almost fired a couple of times and i became the you know, top performer i went from my previous role in uh, a new job and it, it turned out it wasn't the best move for me and i made the wrong decision but it wasn't the game it's like i woke up the next day and i started my own business and i just continued to do this thing and i think that's what this is all about we get so caught up with that oh my god my f- no you you failed at this one thing and then you're gonna get up and you're gonna go again the next day we, that's what we do we just go again but we can that's what we can ex- and, and as as part of that do you have any routines so yeah do you have any things that you're not set in the morning that this is how you start your day or pretty fluid and flexible i i do have a morning routine do i stick to it all the time not really um i stick to it more days than not Mm -hmm. but it follows a similar flow i will i'll get up i have my baraka Mm -hmm. and then i'll have my coffee and i'll be sitting down and then i'll read 10 to 20 pages of a book and then i'll either go out for a run or a ride Mm -hmm. and that's how i'll start my day so what time I start is any time from 6 a.m. through to maybe 6.45 is when I'll get up, depending on if I've done, like, you know, I did a long ride yesterday, so it was a little bit later getting up to... But I think if we... Sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves. And I remember when I... You know, I set my alarm for 6 and then I'd snooze for 10. Mm-hmm. wake up and like, oh, shit, I snoozed for 10 minutes. God, I've ruined yes. my day. It's like, let's, let's be a bit easier on ourselves. It's, it's 10. Um, but I, I do stick to that kind of morning... It gives me an idea of what I want to do and how I want to start my day. And it kind of sets me up. I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that. We all have negative self-talk. Do you mm. have any strategies or would you want to share any strategies with me? Like how, how do you deal with negative talk that happens? It can happen, as you said. So I've used these kind of imposter syndrome or negative yeah. self-talk a lot of the time as a, as a trigger. And I think when you bring awareness to what is happening, Ethan Cross wrote a really good book on this called called chatter c-h-a-t-t-e-r and it gives some tools and frameworks about how to deal with that devil on your shoulder imposter syndrome negative self-talk i think it's a really good and powerful resource but for me i think it's still there Mm -hmm. but the trigger is i'll just do it anyway and over time you build this willpower to just to just do it anyway so it's a it's a it's a weird thing. I remember when I was back in the super hands days, I remembered I um I called him sweaty palm. You know where you're outside of your comfort zone, you haven't done right. something that really stretches yeah. you and I'm, hmm, I haven't had any sweaty palm moments recently and I went and spoke to my head of PR at the time and I said, Hey Mars, I haven't had any sweaty palm moments and she's like, Okay, let me uh, let me sort that out for you. And you know, within a within a few weeks I was on um some live radio talks. I was a panel, panel discussion and I was terrified. Like I was like, like terrified. Like what if this all goes wrong? Say, what if I forget something? And it's, it's in those moments. And we come back to this, enjoying the process, right? 
when you're when you're in these moments you realize okay i'm nervous because i've never done this before and if i've never done this before and i do it now that means the next time i get to do it i'll be better prepared but if i keep shying away from these things i'm never going to grow and i'm never going to get to the success that i think i i can get to and success is defined in different ways whatever it means to you and that's those are the trigger moments for me do i want to stay where i am or do i want to keep pushing for progress which is as you know sam that's pretty much my out of my comfort zone progress being one of my top values as well and it's like well i need to live by these values and you know when i'm in sync with myself that's where happiness and joy comes from absolutely i love that and outside of outside of work i feel like work is one dimension of how we live this thing called life as you said how do we you know how do we keep motivated or what are you doing actually outside of work a passion project that's keeping you fresh and excited and ah this is gonna be i don't know how well received this will be man uh, so yes you know i enjoy my endurance runs um i enjoyed now cycling i've been doing it for about a year or so um and i also enjoy hitting the gym but honestly the thing that i really enjoy doing is this idea of being able to build something yes. or work on something that you're really passionate about, whether that's your own thing. You know, when I was doing it for kind of six and a bit years at Superhands, just every day, just getting up and being like, I'm going to go all in on this. Who can I help? How can we serve people better? What are we going to build? And just this idea of working and with a, with a purpose, it, it is just a motive for, for me. Um, some people will call it like toxic hustling lifestyle, like out of, or like, what's it called? Hustle. All the all the hustle porn and all that kind of stuff, but honestly, maybe it's just because you haven't found something you're really passionate about. Yes. So that's where that's where the motivation for me comes. You know, right now I'm just like building building my own company mm -hmm. and this idea of getting up, you know, just serving people better and just building something new from scratch. And it's all very exciting and working with different people. That's, that for me is is pretty motivating to be honest. And that's a good segue to actually share about what what you're currently doing, where people listening right now can find you and your why as well, if you can share a little bit about that. Oh, my why, my why. Um, so my why really is how do we make sales better? Mm -hmm. uh, I've always had a big passion for that, the idea of helping people buy stuff that they're gonna need or that can help them uh, alleviate some stresses, anxieties. I think that idea creating a better buyer-seller dynamic is a big thing on my agenda um, because I think it's a beautiful thing one day somebody is at home stressing about stuff not knowing how to fix it the next day they get a cold call and it's from somebody that's a professional that's put all the work in done the research and can position themselves in such a way that they know they can help solve that problem and then the next day that person is like oh my god i'm being helped out and they never knew about this solution i think that is a, is a great thing unfortunately you know sometimes sales isn't done in the best way and it's not put in the best so that's you know started uh, kind of sales consulting thing that um, to help companies have better conversations with their buyers. Mm -hmm. I just think that's awesome. I think it's awesome um, too. So it, I said it humbly as well. I'm not saying I'm all, I think the, the concept yeah. um, is something I'm aspiring to right now. And where can people find you on LinkedIn or on your website? Yeah, if you just go on to LinkedIn, you can find me there. It's just Gregory Meehan. You'll see the very white guy with a, with a shaved head and difficult, uh, not difficult to spot, to be honest. And then you can check me out on my personal website. It's just gregorymeehan.com and my company website will be going live, no doubt, in the next few weeks. Awesome. And uh, last question before we end off today. Hit me. What have you got, Sam? What are you most grateful for right now? Uh, my girlfriend. The support she has given me 
over the uh, I'll get emotional, but I'm, you know, throughout my journey of you know, leaving my previous role and starting my my new one, is I don't think I could have done a lot of this stuff without her. Um, and then even supporting like those endurance runs and the endurance rides that take a lot of time. She's incredibly supportive, and I love her for that. So yeah, I'm very grateful for her. And that's brilliant. And the last one is, what does happiness look like to you? What I'm doing right now. So happiness to me is what I'm doing right now. And I think one closing thought from me, if you're not happy where you are right now, not experience more joyful moments than not, then it's up to you and you make the decisions about what you want to do next. And it's within your control of whether you're at a, at a job, at a relationship, or whether you go. And I know it's scary what's on the other side, but your future self will thank you for it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, that was brilliant. I love the conversation. And I will be ending the recording now. Thanks so much.